Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, as the UN Security Council tackles rising tension in the Middle East, Vietnam is thrust into the spotlight as rotating president of the Security Council this month, while also chairing the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. Welcome to Unscripted's first podcast of 2020, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. We wish you a happy new year, one that, if the beginning of the year says anything about the rest, will likely be another busy time. And Casey, there's one country that has just joined the council that already has a lot on its place this month, Vietnam. That's the least we can say. Not only is Vietnam just starting its two-year term as an elected member of the Security Council, a position it's only held once before in 2008 and 2009, the country is also starting its term in a very high-profile way as president of the Security Council for the month of January. But as we mentioned, back home, Vietnam is also chairing ASEAN, an important regional organization. For our monthly episode on the Security Council presidency, Pass Blue has talked to two experts on what these two related roles mean for Vietnam and for the UN. Stephanie, who'd you talk to? Earlier this week, I spoke to Nolene Heiser, a Singaporean diplomat who has held many important titles at the UN, including Undersecretary General, and who now teaches at the University of Singapore. She's an expert on Southeast Asia, and she spoke with us over the phone. I also talked to Dr. Prashant Parameswaran, who's a senior editor at The Diplomat, based in Washington, and a fellow at the Carter Center, which is in Atlanta. He wrote a great piece about Vietnam's term on the Security Council that will link on their story on the presidency. So before we look at what the two experts said about Vietnam's big month of January, Casey, let's have a look at Vietnam's relationship with the UN. That's a great place to start. It's hard to talk about Vietnam in the United States without mentioning the Vietnam War that devastated for 20 years between 1955 and 1975 and had a huge impact on America, too. The war had also affected Vietnam's admission to the United Nations. The U.S. vetoed Vietnam's request to join the U.N. twice, saying the country's government wasn't legitimate. Vietnam finally got admitted to the UN in 1977, after North and South Vietnam reunited. Although Vietnam just celebrated the 40th anniversary of its admission to the UN, it's only been a member of the Security Council once before, about 10 years ago. Let's hear from Dr. Paramaswaran about how Vietnam got there. It took a while for Vietnam to both develop both the capacity and the willingness to assume such a role and also the world to kind of adjust to that. Um, so even though Vietnam was, as you noted, you know, admitted to the UN in the 1970s, it took uh, years of economic reforms that they started you know, only in the 1980s. And even Vietnam's foreign policy, as we know it today, really began to change mostly during the end of the Cold War in the 1990s. So the notion of Vietnam integrating into regional and international institutions was still quite new in the 1990s even. So Vietnam's membership of ASEAN, uh, it became a member in 1995. It only entered the World Trade Organization, I think, in 2006. 
Uh, and so this this sort of big role on the council was something that the Vietnamese saw as being a progression of a series of steps that they needed to take to integrate with the outside world. But countries learn a lot from their first time serving on the Security Council, so this time around is likely to be very different. Here's what Nolene Heiser said about Vietnam's first term on the council. Well, uh, to be very honest, in 2008, it was an opportunity for Vietnam to demonstrate that it has a growing voice in ASEAN and also to demonstrate its diplomatic skills and that it has indeed uh, embraced international integration. And Security Council obviously places uh, Hanoi at the highest level of international integration. So that, uh, that was a very useful position for the country to be. But currently now, uh, the world has changed and we are uh, in a position where you have geopolitics as well as competition among uh, big powers. And this is a time where I think uh, Vietnam is also trying to show that they can be bridge builders and that they know how to deal with some of the complex interdependence and shared responsibility that is so much needed uh, in our world today. So, Stephanie, how has the Vietnamese ambassador articulated his country's priorities for the month? So Ambassador Dan Bing Kui emphasized the importance of upholding a UN charter in the maintenance of peace and security. It's actually the theme of one of Vietnam's signature events this month, an open debate. Overall, there are 27 meetings on the schedule, two open debates, and 11 briefings. And that's only what is planned. That does not include last-minute emergency meetings, like the killing of Iran's general Soleimani by the U.S., I see a bit of irony here, Stephanie, that Vietnam chose upholding the UN Charter as a theme before that killing. And now some countries are accusing the US of violating the UN Charter or threatening to. But even if Iran wanted to use the UN Charter open debate as a platform to condemn the US actions, the Trump administration won't allow Iran's foreign minister Zarif to enter the US for the meeting. The topic is still likely to come up, though, through other state members. Besides the UN Charter topic, Vietnam has another goal for the presidency, fostering cooperation between the UN and regional organizations, specifically ASEAN. Yes, in a way, Norlene Eiser told us, these two debates are a bit interrelated. Let's hear what she had to say on this. The uh, issue of conflict prevention, uh, uh, conflict resolution, being able to manage disputes, I think these would be critical issues But I think at the same time, it is also an opportunity to actually raise ASEAN's profile on the international stage, especially in terms of the experience of maintaining peace and stability, and to share some of ASEAN's experiences in really dealing with some of the issues of violent extremisms. But since the participation in the Security Council also overlaps with the 20th anniversary of the Women, Peace and Security uh, agenda, I think they are going to play quite a big role in showcasing that because ASEAN, I think, uh, for the first time, is actually looking at how to implement the Women, Peace and Security agenda in the sub-region. So Vietnam seems to be doubling down on its two leadership roles at the UN and ASEAN by trying to look at how the two can better work together. 
This is consistent with UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres's emphasis on regional cooperation with the UN. And ASEAN seems to want this too. Their Secretary General, Dato Lim Jakhoi from Brunei, will attend the Security Council debate on the topic. But there's also the question of how Vietnam will work with the other ASEAN member on the Security Council, Indonesia. Right. And we've been paying more and more attention to how regional partners are working together on the Council toward common goals. There's always the Europeans who are part of the EU on the Council. And there's also the A3, the African Three dynamic that was important last year among Côte d'Ivoire, South Africa, and Equatorial Guinea. And now it's worth wondering if there's going to be a Southeast Asian too, or SEA2, with Indonesia and Vietnam. You see, Vietnam's place on the council really sort of changes the dynamic, as Vietnam is technically taking Kuwait seat, a Western Asian country, so it's adding one more ASEAN seat. Here's what the Vietnamese ambassador said when asked about how he's planning to work with Indonesia. I mean, it's a kind of small secret between our two missions. Yeah, and we two capital that we try our best to take this opportunity to uh, I mean to highlight or to raise the ASEAN image here, and uh, we're planning uh, a bit of secret that a, a kind of um, exhibition of ASEAN PKO or ASEAN striving for peace, and then we try to have more joint statement by ASEANs on all the issues that we. Relating to security. But there are some issues that Nolene Heiser thinks Indonesia and Vietnam don't agree on. Well, I think in most issues, uh, definitely there will be shared interests as well as mutual respect, and then and that they will definitely try to create spaces for a dialogue uh, to come up with common ground. Uh, but I think there are also issues that may be some differences. Indonesia, for example, voted positively and has been one of the countries in ASEAN that has been very supportive uh, of the Rohingya issue uh, in Myanmar, whereas uh, Vietnam, as I mentioned, has not been so so uh, supportive in terms of the recent resolution. But I think on many other fronts, including the women, peace and security agenda, uh, on the importance of the rule of law uh, in maintaining international peace and uh, security, the promotion of uh, dialogue, uh, creation of spaces, all these are really common ground that both countries will be able to, to come up with. But there's another relationship on the council that is trickier to define, Vietnam and China. China is Vietnam's largest trade partner, but at the same time, Vietnam has a territorial claim in the South China Sea, where China has engaged in military exercises and is building military outposts on artificial islands in disputed waters. The issue has split alliances in Asia. And when asked at his press briefing whether he was planning to bring this issue to the UN this month, the Vietnamese ambassador declined to comment. In a way, ASEAN is the entity really handling this file, but the China-Vietnam dynamic will definitely be something to watch. Dr. Parameswaran thinks. Listen to what he told us. I think one issue that would be really uh, important to watch closely is the evolution of the South China Sea. I think Vietnam you know, has made uh, a very concerted effort over the past few years to say, despite what China is doing in the South China Sea and we're getting our military capabilities together, we still believe that this is 
ultimately an issue of international law and the UN matters uh, in that sense, whether we're talking about UNCLOS or more generally about the role of diplomacy and, and how much importance Vietnam attests to that. And Indonesia, too, has been a very big proponent of you know, international law and multilateralism. So Vietnam's relationship with China and Indonesia will definitely be something to watch. And another thing worth noting is that Vietnam did not sign the pro-China letter that we talked about last month, praising China's human rights record in the Xinjiang region. But besides some tension with China, the Vietnamese ambassador seems to want to find common ground with the rest of the council members. Stephanie, we touched briefly on the history of the war between the U.S. and Vietnam. What is their relationship like today? If Vietnam's first term on the council can give us an idea, although Vietnam and the U.S. weren't at all close, Washington did offer a lot of support to Vietnam behind closed doors. You know, the relationship between Vietnam and the U.S. normalized a while ago, and they have a good relationship now, although some remnants of the war still haunt the two countries. The U.S. is actually the number one destination for Vietnamese exports, such as clothing, shoes, and seafood. So the economic relationship is very important. But Hanoi approaches the political relationship with Washington with some caution, Dr. Parameswaran says. You have the Vietnamese also wanting to promote strategic cooperation with the United States, which they did so under the Obama administration, but under President Trump, There's a lot of routine diplomacy that has continued to go on, particularly on the security side. But the Vietnamese have been, you know, very, very cautious and also quite concerned about what the Trump administration has been doing in terms of protectionism um, and in terms of some of their foreign policy positions on China. They find it very hard to read sometimes what's going on with the United States. So at a time when Vietnam is trying to balance these ties between the United States and China, you know, both China and the United States uh, independently are becoming more unpredictable and more of sources of concern for Vietnamese foreign policy. And unpredictability could be Vietnam's biggest challenge in the Security Council this month. As we mentioned, tensions between the United States and Iran have reached a 40-year high since Washington killed Iran's most prominent military commander, Qasem Soleimani. So besides Vietnam's own goals of promoting the UN Charter and ASEAN cooperation, the Security Council is always tasked with dealing with crises around the globe in real time. And Vietnam has made that a priority so far. But it remains to be seen how the country will handle the Iran-US threat of war. The tension will likely consume the debate on the UN Charter. Besides the visa denial for Iran's foreign minister we mentioned earlier, it remains to be seen whether US Secretary of State Pompeo will come to New York to speak. Either way, Vietnam is prepared to adapt to whatever comes their way. The main focus is going to be on unexpected developments and events that we're going to see uh, in the course of this year. And I think, you know, that really gets into what we're going to see in 2020. You know, we've seen, you know, rising U.S.-Iran tensions, uh, tensions in the Middle East. Um, already, North Korea has made, you know, very public calls about the fact that it's going to, you know, not be a very quiet uh, player in 2020. So this notion of, you know, what the head of Vietnam's permanent mission talked about is unexpected developments and, you know, these events growing into clashes for Vietnam uh, as it holds its position is going to be very important because Vietnam, you know, unlike other countries in Southeast Asia, like Indonesia and Malaysia, it doesn't have a direct stake in these issues like the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, And even on North Korea, it's a very indirect role. 
But Vietnam in its position in the UN will have to actually deal with this and manage a lot of competing tensions and interests in the UN Security Council. Stephanie, you've talked a little bit about what the Vietnamese ambassador has said about the presidency, but what is he like as a person? So Ambassador Deng is a very charismatic man. He knows how to express himself in front of the press and really seems to want to tell Vietnam's story for the presidency. At his press briefing, however, there were many topics he avoided. He answered so many questions by saying, I'm not going to comment. This may be because he's just starting as a member of the council and really wants to take his time before taking big stances on big issues. And how long has Ambassador Deng been posted at the UN? He was appointed in 2018 as ambassador. And before that, he was vice minister of foreign affairs for a while. So he definitely has experience in his pocket. The ambassador speaks Vietnamese, English, some French and Russian. Although he says the last two languages are weak because he hasn't spoken them in a while. He said he grew up in a peasant family and he ended up in diplomacy by chance. He grew up among bombing and the war, and that's what really shaped his thinking of the world. Here's what he told Paz Blue. I was born and grown up in a small city, not a city, a village, about 100 kilometers south of Hanoi. I think that my village is close to a small city, and it was under the two bombings by Johnson and Nixon. So... My childhood, until my 15 years old, I experienced a lot of bombing there. And by that time, that uh, my dream was very simple, that we, can, we could sleep without the sound of bomb during the night and have enough food to eat. So I think when then we grown up and we see the relation between the two countries, Vietnam and the U.S. is slowly, slowly normalized. And from the enemy, we become friends, normalization in 1995, and then we become partner, and now we become a comprehensive partnership. The relation getting stronger, and we are very happy. Being on the council for the next two years and having the presidency this month is his chance to promote that belief. And we'll watch closely. Many thanks to our two experts who helped us shed light on Vietnam's strategy and foreign policy at the UN in this episode. And thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Casey. See you next time. This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, with help from Brianna Lyman and reported by Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Jolsey Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted, and Pass Blue is covering the important news from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.